0: We've been in this series on generosity, and I, I kind of built it off of this idea of our heart needing to grow a little bit, and it was off of that Grinch story that we all know that was, you know, the great theologian, Dr. Seuss, who, who shares about the Grinch, who hated Christmas, and he hated the whole Christmas season, and, and, and Seuss says, don't ask why. No one knows quite the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps his shoes were just too tight, but I think the most likely reason of all may be that may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. And I just love that line. Because what we're talking about in generosity is how do we grow our heart a size larger possibly? How do we allow God's heart, which is so big, to begin to get into our heart and begin to push that beyond the boundaries of our own selfishness? So I was, you know, thinking through this whole message in the series, and I, and, and I just want to give you kind of a backdrop of where we've been. We talk about possibilities. So often we talk about live generously. We often think about finances. But the reality is if you walk, just walk through Scripture, you'll find there are so many ways we're called to be generous. In fact, one of the most important ways is how we love and treat one another. We are to love others who are tough to love. We are to love someone who has offended and hurt us by doing what Jesus himself did, generously forgiving us. We are the kind of people that will give way to someone, and this is really hard, but kind of, you know, like in the grocery line, and, and say, no, no, you go first. There's just lots of ways, lots of possibilities to live generously. And then and we talked about after that, it was really important, if we're talking about all the different possible ways, it's really important we get a perspective on this, because so often when we think about generosity, we think about just ourselves, and our hearts are really kind of a little, little bit smaller, and we so often look out of our lack rather than looking to God. And and, and the whole idea was that this big-hearted God is really, really big. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who's created it all. And if he is prompting you to be generous, to give, and, and to do that kind of lifestyle of generosity, he has the supply So that you're not giving out of your lack, but you're giving out of his prompting and supply. And then we talked about the principle last week. One of the principles that God desires for us, what we have as a church, is we want to take our next step to know, grow, and follow, and become more like Jesus. Well, how do you become like him? Well, one of the things that you find in the Old Testament is he talked about the children of Israel. And we talked about good parenting, for instance, has what I call external laws, cleanliness laws. If you want your kids to value cleanliness when they get older, you begin to give them little laws like take a bath, brush your teeth, pick up your toys, wash your hands, you know, you could go on and on and on. The whole idea is that once they do these external kind of things, eventually when they move from immaturity to maturity, their heart has a principle of generosity. And so when you look at the Old Testament, and if you didn't get a chance to hear this message, I I ask you to listen to last week's because it's really foundational. It helps you even understand the Old Testament a little bit because God was working with the children of Israel, teaching them some external laws. And with those laws were some consequences, which parents do. There were also what I call generosity laws. They were things that you were to do, like take a bath, brush your teeth, so that when you became older and mature, you would become generous. So he will make statements in here like, give a tenth of all that you earn. And you go, what? Because that's an external law. When we are young in our faith, to do that is, is really a difficult thing to do. And so when you're in your immaturity, and you could be in the church for many years and still be immature in this area of your life. And one of the reasons he says that is because when you begin to do that, when you get to the New Testament, it's now talking not about laws, but about grace. And so when you get to the New Testament, Jesus never says anything about an external law like a tenth. He always talks about grace. And when you get to the New Testament, you don't see anything about a tithe or a tenth. It's all about, it's understood that those laws were in place as ways that our hearts grow into generosity. It's a principle. And then from the principle, there's there's a whole method to my madness here, right? Today, we want to talk about practices. Because if you're going to be able to move into this lifestyle of generosity and this is not just a series of messages but becomes a part of your life, there truly are some practices you need to put in place. Everyday practices. And I share this message with you because they're kind of like the ABCs around finances. And and you may go, I've heard this before and it's wonderful. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes the coach goes to the football team, we're just gonna do the basics again. We're just going to stop and talk about the basics. We're going to actually talk about some basics, some basic practices that are in the Word of God that are important because if you want to be generous, if you want to be in a place where you can give something, you have to be in a place where you have some practices that allow that to happen. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray together, okay? Would you just um, quiet your heart for a moment? And I, I'm going to ask you to say to God, God, speak to my heart, just in your own quiet way, whatever, however you want to say that. Just would you open your heart to him? Invite him through his spirit to speak to you. Father, I, I pray right now behind these prayers that there, if there are things that are about me that you would be able to kind of push to the side that your spirit would speak to our hearts around these issues. I know your intent, Spirit of God, is never to bring it is never to weigh us down, but is to lift the burdens from us. And I pray that these teachings would not be ones that bring a weight, but they will be a sense of your love for us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for doing that. And the reason I I say that because when I share about these practices, my desire in no way is to bring guilt or shame. It's not in any way for me to say that I'm some expert. I have to say as we go through this, I don't think there's many people in this church or in our culture today that don't have difficulty with what I'm going to talk about. Now, some people are wired in such a way that it's not a problem. The ABCs of what I'm talking about. You're going to go, that's a no-brainer, just kind of how you're wired. But if you just look at the whole culture, you'll kind of see that this is probably not the case. And so I thought I'd share with you a story I've shared once before in this church a number of years back, and I'm glad I did share because I had a bunch of people in the first service come up to me and say, thank you for sharing this story because I wasn't here if you shared that, but it's a good one to tell again, right? Good stories are good to tell twice. And I want you to listen to the story of an 88-year-old woman who never graduated beyond sixth grade, And it was reported in guideposts a number of years ago. When the news of what I had done got out, folks from newspapers and magazines came around to find out who I was. I didn't see what all the fuss was about, says Osceola. But invitations started arriving to come visit the president in Washington, D.C. and the United Nations in New York City. I'd never been out of Mississippi except to Niagara Falls one time long ago, and the roar scared me so. But I went and got a Presidential Citizens Medal and was honored by the UN. Who would have thought I would be making trips like that, says 88-year-old Osceola McCarty of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. See, prior to that, no one knew who Osceola was. But her fame grew quickly and became a public story. Because soon after Osceola was discovered, she was ushered to New York, to, to uh, New Year's in Times Square and paraded before a group of people. She made the front page of the New York Times, People Magazine, and a few other magazines. She even made an appearance on some late-night TV shows. And here's one I think is really kind of cool. To top it all off, Osceola received an honorary doctorate from Harvard. Now, you got to be wondering, I hope you're wondering, what in the world did Osceola do that would get that kind of attention, that kind of fame, making her a reality TV kind of star in just a moment? Why all this commotion around a person who is 88 years old, never finished sixth grade, never did more than wash clothes and iron clothes and earn a few dollars a week? Well, Osceola would have died unknown, in obscurity, except for what happened on July 26, 1995. And listen, his guidepost gives you kind of the backstory, so you can get a flavor of what happened. She says, I love to wash and iron. When I started going to Eureka Elementary School, I washed my own clothes on Saturday mornings. I boiled them in the laundry pot and hung them to dry on the clothesline in the morning sun. In the evening, I heated up that heavy old iron on the, oak st- on the cook stove and did my ironing while standing on a box. And so I had all my clothes ready for the next week. I love school, and especially my teacher, Miss Hill. I must have been about 10 or 11 years old at the time when one day she said, "Asiola, come up to my desk. So I went up and talked to her, and she talked real low so no one else could hear, and she said, "Asiola." I said, well, who washes and irons your clothes? I do. You do? She looked surprised. Well, I've got a linen dress that I'd like for you to iron. What do you charge? Well, uh," she didn't know what to say. She said, 10 cents. But when I returned the dress freshly washed and ironed, she paid me a quarter. And as time um, went on, one person told another about my washing and ironing, and the work just seemed to come to me. Some children in the household where my grandmother worked, she was a clean, oh, cleaning lady for other homes. She says, Where my grandmother worked, um, they discarded a, a, a doll and a buggy, so my grandmother brought them home to me. And I started putting my dimes and nickels and quarters under the pink lining of the doll buggy. So a few years later her aunt took sick and when her aunt was sick Osceola had to drop out of school sixth grade drops out of school in order to take care of her aunt the story says that she fell behind in school so Osceola actually had to drop out of school but she continued washing and, and ironing and tucking away her money under the little pink linen under that in that, that doll buggy the story goes on when I, one day I passed a bank and it seemed to me the thing to do to keep my money there I took in all my coins and dumped them on the counter. I can't tell you how much I had. Maybe $5. The teller put my money away in a checking account, account, and every month when I paid my bills, I dropped off more coins at the bank. All that except for what I put in the collection plate at Friendship Baptist Church. Nobody instructed me to do that, she says. It just seemed fitting to give God back something of what he had given to me. And as years passed, I made a rule that I would always keep up my church giving and once a year I made a payment on my life insurance and my burial plot. Now talk about thinking ahead. And every month I paid my water and electricity and gas bills and set aside a certain amount of groceries for everyday needs. And over the years God showed me how to spend a certain portion on this and how to save the rest. It must have been him because nobody else showed me. And I just thought, you know, that's a perfect word. When it says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways. Acknowledge him. Do not lean on your own understanding. Because he will what? Like he did for Osceola. He'll direct your path. God showed me this. One day, I went to the bank to deposit my money. And the teller said, Osceola, if you put your money in a savings account, you'll get some interest on that money. Yes, ma'am. When, when can I do that? She said. You can do it now. And I did. Then another visit, one of the people at the bank said to me, Osceola, you ought to put your money in some CDs and build this money up a little. And I said, yes, when can I do that? And, and, and they said, right now, so I did. And I just kept on adding to it. And sometimes $20 a month, sometimes $15. I only went to the bank, and this is a great line, I only went to the bank to put my change in dollars bills in, not to get them out. As long as I was able to keep working, I didn't see any need to take out that money to buy things that I didn't have or need. I kept on working, even after the age most people retire. The article goes on to say that she actually retired because her hands started swelling, and the arthritis kept her from doing the washing and the ironing, and she was forced into early retirement at 86. (laughs) And the article says... The quotes are, I said, Lord, I want you to stay by me and guide me and protect me in all things. And, and he did. One year later, Osceola told the guidepost writer, The bank called and asked me what I wanted to do with the money when I pass on. So Mr. Paul Laughlin, he's one of the officers there, sat down with me and spread out 10 dimes. And he told me that each dime represented 10% of my money. And so. He, he, he laid them all out, and I said, so take, I want you to take a dime for the church and a dime for each cousin, which left six dimes for a dream I always had. I want to help some child go to college, I said. I'm going to give the rest of my money to the University of Southern Mississippi so deserving children can get a good education. I want to help African-American children who are eager to learn like I was but whose families couldn't afford to help them go to school. Mr. Paul, she says, looked at me kind of funny. She said, you know, Miss Miss Osceola, that means you'll be giving the school $150,000. $150,000. I had never realized how much I had, and the amount about took my breath away. And that's why Osceola received so much attention from the President, United Nations, and the media, because she had accomplished what many of us, bright and some of the best, failed to do, manage our money. And I thought about that, and I thought, here's an 88-year-old grade school dropout who is able to do often what I'm not able to do, often what many of us aren't able to do. And what I think is really interesting, you have some of the most sophisticated, intelligent, and gifted people in the world. We live in one of these areas here with some of the most gifted, intelligent people in the world. And when you think about it, what makes this story so huge and so great is the fact that someone who got hardly anything was able to accomplish so much. It's almost as if, you know, when I think about it, God was just waiting for us saying, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. On just a few dollars a week, Osceola lived and left a legacy. She was able to budget carefully, save consistently, invest wisely, and give generously. And for that simple reason, think about it. (laughs) It's kind of funny. She became a national hero. That's amazing. So what I want to share with you, and again, I, I, the desire in, in, in no way is that this moves people to guilt. This is really my hope and prayer is that God would say these are some practices that, that are really important. And, and as we go through this, um, our culture, people in our churches, I myself have struggled with this as well. So I'm just going to be really honest with you. These are just practices that the Bible says if you employ them. And you are, it's, a, it's a matter of obedience. That as you do this... You will begin to experience freedom and joy and blessing. And my desire is that these practices, as you follow them, release joy in your life. Because that's what God desires. And the practice, number one, is a simple one. And it is is one you've heard before. It's commit to live within your means. It's to make a commitment. That practice to say, I will live within my means. It's really interesting, the Bible has all kinds of say, things to say on this topic of money. In fact, Jesus himself talked about it so often because he knew how it can regulate our lives. Out of the 38 recorded parables of Jesus, 16 deal with money or possessions. In the Gospels, out of the 10 verses, uh, 1 out of 10 verses, 288 in all can deal directly with the subject of money. Proverbs 21.20 says it this way in the Living Bible. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. There is something about the Word of God that says living within your means, being in a place that you are able to, when a crisis comes or when there's an opportunity to touch someone's life in a need, to live in such a way that you have a little bit extra to live within what you've been given is how God calls us, commands us, and then unleashes His work through us. The Hebrew idea for saves for the future, which is a living Bible translation, translates these words, there is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. It's this idea, in a, you know, in an agricultural society, there would be whatever treasure it was, but oil was something that was, uh, was of value. And they had it somehow in a closet or in a dwelling place. In, in those homes in those days, they usually only had one place, which was called a storeroom. And in that place, there was enough if they needed it. And the practice is so absurdly simple, and it's just humor. So I thought, you know, this would be a good time for us just to laugh, okay? Because really, when you think about it, this is kind of a a no-brainer point, but we're going to talk for a minute why it's so hard. But um, some of you know Steve Martin, right? He he did a skit. He's like 70 years of age now, but he did a skit a while ago, and I think we're just going to watch it because you need to laugh a little bit, I think. I just can't get these numbers to add up. Like we're never gonna get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? (laughs) Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. (laughs) If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey, this makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? no you make sure you have money then you buy it oh then you buy it but shouldn't you buy it before you have the money no why not it's in the book it's only one page long (laughs) the advice is priceless and the book is free wow i like the sound of that yeah we can put it on our credit card (laughs) So get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Okay. And if you order now, you also receive Seriously. If you don't oh, have you don't the want... money, don't buy it. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Because um, you're not going to get that book anywhere. <laughs> the Bible gives you one verse on that. And you look at that and we laugh. What I want to do is just take a second and go underneath that. Because it's our desires that drive us to live beyond our means. And I just want you to think for a second, as you, as you just think about this, because um, I, I, I'm just going to pull out three things that are important to even think about that I think are external desires that are not only um, to their culture, but so often what we live in. Um, I just, the first thing I talk about is, is sometimes, I'll use the word parents, what we have come from, what we have lived with is sometimes what we expect. And we almost have an entitlement kind of feel. In fact, what I find is interesting, our expectations are often set in the homes we are raised in, and most of us want a standard of living that we left. So I know I'm speaking to some who might be... Their 40s or 30s and younger. But that's kind of a reality. After the service, I had a number of people come up to me and just say, you know, it's so true. And, and they're just talking about, you know, our parents live in an economic time. Many of them lived in little houses and took time for them to save to get to where they were doing. But we lived in a culture. I did a whole message on this one time about, about you know, spending beyond our means. And, and, and I did a study of just how. Over the time, um, with the credit, development of credit, and all the different things that came up, it even goes further back than that. We became a culture where we, you know, it's just if you want it, get it. And some of that's driven. I just want to think some of it's driven by what you were raised with, and not that parents are not saying anything bad about them. I'm just saying we what we we expect what we left. Another thing is peers. Another thing that could drive you, you just have to say, okay, internally, what drives some of these desires and some of these wants. Some of it is peers. When you're in your 30s and 40s, some of what you do is you start looking around, you kind of go, you know, I want to live in this certain kind of house that my friends live in and I have, um, they drive a certain car, they have certain toys and it seems like this is what everybody else has. They send their kids to private school or whatever it might be. Whatever you compare yourself to, sometimes you just have to be really aware of what is driving you to move beyond your means. I think one of the biggest things is just what you see all the time in our projected media images all around us. We see uh, lifestyles that are, we're, we're told to follow and pursue. It's so against the culture in many ways of what God is calling us to, to live. I remember when my daughter was two years of age, so it was a number of years back, but she was two years old. And I was reading a book, and she was watching TV. She had, she had a, cartoons on, but she really wasn't watching. You know how that is. She was playing very—you know—she was playing with her toys. And then I noticed at one point it got my attention. Then the, this volume on the TV seemed to get louder, and I looked up, and the colors were more vibrant. The activity was just more. Um, there was just—it was more captivating. And when I looked over at my daughter, she had stopped completely playing with her toys and her eyes were glued on this thing for like 15 to 20, 30 seconds. And when it ended, she looked down and looked over at me and I was looking at her and she just said these few words, Dada, I want that. That's it too. And, And the word of God says, commit yourself to this practice. To live within your means. Another practice the, the Bible talks about is to commit to an accountable plan of spending. Okay, To commit to an accountable plan of spending. I didn't, when I was writing this, I put down commit to a plan of spending and then I thought, no, accountable is really an important word here. Again, some of you may be just natural at this. You're much driven. You maybe have more of an accountant's mind and, and, and some of you just are wired in that way. But there's many people who aren't. And part of, of of what Jeff even said, you know, we need like a, a financial Sherpa. You know, the Sherpas are just guides that help you along life. I have to share with you that I, I, I wished when I was in my early 30s, I had the humility to just stop and, and say to someone, would you help me develop this and as a couple come around that and really plan out our future better. Some of you who are in your 50s or 60s, it, it might be really wise for you to begin to start praying for someone else, to be in a position. to. This is a community thing. This does take a village to do this stuff. I, I really want you to understand that this whole idea of a plan is so important because when you read what Jesus has to say, he tells a parable in Luke 14, 28 through 30. It's a simple parable. He says if there's anyone here who planning to, is planning to build a new home and doesn't sit down and figure the cost so you'll know If you can complete it, if you don't put a plan together and you just start out or you just kind of live in the moment, if you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish, Jesus says. Everyone passing by will make fun of you. He started something he couldn't finish. The whole point is, when it comes to life, when it comes to doing like building a home or it comes to buying a car, whatever it is, the whole idea is what's the plan, and scripture is just so, so consistent that we are to develop a plan, we are to live by that plan, we are to review that plan. And here's the part I also want to say, bring someone, as couples do it together, and if you need help as a couple, find someone who will be accountable. We, we have um, people within this church who would love to help who are gifted, and they're not judgmental, they're not coming down, they just want to help people live in the freedom that God desires for them to live in. And the Bible's plan is really simple, and, and, and you can read these on your own, so if you haven't heard this before, I'm just going to kind of give you the simple plan. The Word of God says take 10% and, and bless God with that so that others can be blessed. Just take that 10%. And, and it says in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, Honor your, the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. And in and, and this idea of honoring with the first, there's, this, there's three important points he's talking about here. Priority. The first thing you do, the first thing that comes off your salary, is you take that and you set it aside. That requires a plan. We live in a world that's so much easier to do that. There's an automated thing. There's ways you can give in automated ways. It makes a huge difference. But one of the sad things sometimes about that is you don't feel the giving of it, which is something in the giving of it. But when you look at the bottom line, you, you feel it. Anyway, so anyway, you have this 10%. Then you take 10%. And, and you can go 10 to 20. I don't, you know, you, wherever the, the Lord leads you. But take about 10%. And, and I tell you, bless yourself. You work really hard, so pay yourself, so that you have something in the sense of a crisis, and you have things that you're storing away for the future. And that's why I say 10 to 20 percent, because people live at you know, your salaries are all so different. You just got to figure out for now where is God calling me. But 10, usually 10, and then live on the 80 or what I call 70 percent, 80 to 70 percent. That's what you live on. That's that's what made Osceola. That's what got her an honorary doctorate from Harvard. Isn't that amazing? One person, very simple, not even a sixth grade education, basically said, God, I'm going to start taking this stuff and I'm going to give you some down at Friendship Baptist Church and God, I'm going to go ahead and save some and and put some in a place in case I need it and God, I'm just going to live on what I have. And I'm going to do this year after year after year. These practices of living within your means and, and, and then developing a plan put you in a place where you can experience God's freedom and joy. It's, it's, it's a real bummer, I have to tell you. When God calls you to do something and you want to be involved in something, and you, and you go, I, I don't have any capacity to do that. It brings guilt. And God never desires for people to live in guilt and shame. He set us free from, from that through Jesus. I could give you more, but I'm going to give you the third one And we're going to move on Commit to avoid the bondage of debt That's that's a huge one Commit to avoid the bondage of debt By this, I just want to make this really clear I do not mean what I would call reasonable within your means I'll say all this, reasonable within your means Sane mortgage debt I'm talking about credit card equity, similar debt Proverbs 22, 7 tells us this, because in the word of God, it never forbids or condones it. Isn't that interesting? Really, if you go through the, it never forbids or condones it. You know what it says? Here's, it gives you a reality around the idea of debt. It, it tells us this in Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule of the poor and a borrower is a slave to the lender. And, and the point is, don't get enslaved so that you are so enslaved that you can't get out of it. And so there's a real important point where he says, when you live this, live within your means, go ahead and develop a plan that's accountable, that someone keeps you accountable, that you stay on it. And I have to just share it's that's always... A, my wife was here in the first service, and I talked even more about it, but yeah, anyway. It's, it's an interesting thing when couples choose to do that. A lot of times couples don't spend much time together, but I can tell you if you promise to once a week or once every other week is what we kind of do it forces you together around some really important things because um, when you develop a plan, it helps you determine your real needs. It actually helps you discover what some of those wants and needs are. It actually goes even further than that and it develops within you character because you got to kind of both go, well, we'd really like this but not, it's called delayed gratification. That's the whole purpose of some of the things that God teaches us here. And, and so this one on, 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 on this whole idea of don't get in the bondage of debt. James tells us what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And, and, and the financial pain, relational pain around that is... Reported again and again as one of the highest strains in marriages it, 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 it creates fights and quarrels And beyond that, that kind of bondage that puts you in that kind of place That James talks about because of our desires Because it's, it's really underneath all the bondage The bondage is not really to money and even to someone else It's a bondage to your desires so that at one point, Paul, writing to Timothy, says in First Timothy 6, 9, and 10, Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires, and plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith, and catch this, have pierced themselves with many griefs. I, I have a letter, and I, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but um, there's... <laughs> There's this man who, um, who experienced the pain of financial indebtedness, and he said he'd been to Vietnam, he had been um, in an accident, he had lost his father at a young age, all these different pains, and none of them measured up to the pain that he felt one day when he had to declare bankruptcy. He said, you see, financial bondage strips a person of the very thing God wants us to know about ourselves, and that is that we matter to God. And through the abysmal pressures of debt, self-worth begins to deteriorate that and brings remorse and self-pity and rejection and depression, and it becomes a part of your daily experience. And Jesus wants freedom. So here's the last thing, and, and then I'm going to have the band come out, and I'm just going to do this. Is I'm going to encourage you to commit to baby steps baby steps I'm going to ask you to do one thing here's a practice that you will take a baby step and commit that to the Lord today if the Lord speak speaking to your heart if the spirit of God when you just have been here and you've gone God I just want to get some area of my life together um, I asked Jeff Bry. in fact I send the message out to a number of people and I often ask them to read it and give me some insights and I said give me some practical steps and Jeff Bry's is a practical guy so he said many small changes make big difference take a sabbatical from a current luxury that might be a small baby step Cut your daily caribou habit in half. That's 100 hours a month. Reduce and eliminate the cable bill, possibly. Swap a weekly dinner out. As spring hits, drop the gym membership. Put it on hold. Another is, for some of you, mortgage rates are historically low, so you may need to check and refine. There are simple baby steps. Practice tithing, maybe for one month. You've never done it before. you said, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to do that. Um, Plan and assess how you might use your tax returns. So many of you find, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I got this money that I want to spend. Maybe God is saying invest it for your future. Um, Another is if you're married, discuss your situation with your spouse. I I can't encourage that enough. And and one of the things I wanted to share with you that I had a bunch of these booklets in back. We've had these, we did a course on this and they were put together by like Ron Blue and... um, Saddleback and some other church stuff. And they put these together, and we had a bunch, and now we only have four left. So if you want to grab one of those, there's only four. So just don't fight, you know. Generosity is putting a person in front of you. Anyway, um, but I want to let you know that if you are in a position and you're saying, I really would like to take a baby step and need some help, please let me know or let Mike Brinkman here at church know. call and ask for a Mike Brinkman, we will help line you up with someone who would love to come around you and help you. There are baby steps you can take and you know, there's clear out the clutter in your house. There's stuff there that you might be able to use. I don't know what that baby step is but I encourage you to prayerfully consider that. Uh, we're just going to close and I assure with the first service messages like this you don't end. Usually people going, you know, oh yeah! That was great. But I hope in your heart these ABCs are an opportunity for you to say, God, maybe there's an area in my life where I just want to get these practices and And I encourage you to, if the Spirit of God is prompting you, to act on that and take a baby step. You are this child next to God, and and He says He loves you. And I have to tell you, no matter where you may be, you may be just thrilled because you have um, been in that place where you you experience the joy and the freedom of following these practices, but you may be on the other side of it and just going, just feeling this sense of um, pain. Uh, You're in a place that you never thought you'd be or intended to be or you're trapped into these desires. I... God hears your heart, it all starts with just a humble cry. I remember in a time in my life when I just, it was when it was just cries, and God said, God, I want you to enter into this area of my life. And part of that, when I cried out, God also allowed for me to meet with someone who just made a huge difference. And and I just want to encourage you. You don't need to suffer alone. Jesus brought a community. And right now, if your heart's crying out to him, ask him to... Be a part of this and and then take some steps so these practices can be established in your life. I pray this and thank you, God, for hearing the hearts and the cries of your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.